Hello everyone and welcome to an episode on OT Watch Your Focus with me, Farrah Money. I hope you've all been well. I realise it's been quite a while since I released an episode, uh, but a lot's been going on. It's been over a year now since I qualified and yeah, things are going good, things are going great, but it's just finding the time to be able to do things like this alongside obviously full-time work and just general life really so I am back I have a great episode it's with the fantastic Pasna we actually recorded this quite a while ago now but uh, as I said it's been it's been sat there banked with a couple of other episodes and I finally got around to editing it and it's a really open and raw conversation in terms of you come across all different types of occupational therapists out there, but Pasna's passion for what she's done and how she has grown her business, the weekday wow factor, literally from the ground up, and as I've titled the episode, for her to be brave and to take the plunge, has actually developed into something really rather beautiful, and the actual stories that are scattered throughout. I've, I've listened to the episode back a couple of times whilst I've been editing it and I really um, I really do enjoy this one. So you're in for a treat and Pazna's work with those who have dementia uh, just comes across as nothing but completely holistic and person-centered. And uh, I'm particularly keen on the story of Duran Duran. So listen to where that comes through and just the basics about human rights and the idea that she's grown something from grassroots up. She saw the gap, she identified it and uh, now she's got something really quite special to show for it. So I hope you enjoy the show. I'm really, really pleased to be back and bring the podcast back to you. And yeah, please do get connected. If you enjoy the show, please leave me a review. Whatever episode, whatever platform you're listening on, it's all really appreciated. It's really nice when you get in touch and I get to hear a little bit about different episodes you've listened to and bits and pieces you've enjoyed from those. So yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode and do get in touch. Welcome Pazna and thank you for agreeing to come on OT What's Your Focus. Thank you so much for inviting me Farah. Um, obviously I've already told the listeners a little bit about your background in relation to what you've been doing but I wondered if you could start today about telling us a little bit about yourself um, so where did you train and why have you become an OT? Very good question it feels like it was a long time ago when uh, when this happened it was a long time ago in fact um, so I was living in San Diego in California and uh, I was attending um, various college courses there and they have a different system to the UK uh, in terms of um, doing your undergraduate course and it's kind of like you know working towards majoring in a subject as it's known as so um, I happened to ask um, a girl in in my class uh, what she's going to be majoring in and she mentioned occupational therapy and it was an instant, like, turn my head to the left and, th- and ask her, what's that? That sounds really interesting. It just completely raised my curiosity, the words occupational therapy, because I've never come across that. So, um, so yeah, I came back to the UK 
and I uh, shadowed some occupational therapists and I instantly just loved the concept and uh, and yeah I applied for occupational therapy straight away I think I was one of the last people at Glasgow Caledonian University to get in because of my late application um, and yeah I'm very grateful to um, Katrina Karishma and um, Winston Mackay who uh, who who thought it was a good idea for me to uh, be accepted uh, into the course and I absolutely loved every aspect of the course it's just so holistic um, and I just learned so much um, and so much around uh, people's potential and, and our own potential it was like a, a dual journey going on. So what was your first role post-qualifying do you remember what you did as your first sort of position? Yes, yes my first position was to work in acute services and it was a rotational post. So I had a little bit of everything from medical wards to stroke wards, um, rheumatology as well. Gave me a really good grounding of occupational therapy. I really enjoyed it. And what was your favorite rotation? Yeah, um, oh, see, I always found uh, something tough in occupational therapy when I was working. I never really knew where I wanted to stick at because I really enjoyed every aspect of my practice. So after doing that rotational post, I went into uh, mental health, um, uh, acute and also um, long-term wards. And I really enjoyed that as well. Um, and then I moved on to pediatrics um, and community pediatrics in particular. And I just found that fascinating, really, really interesting. Um, so where I've stuck at most in my NHS career was um, around dementia care. Um, in that area, I felt it was really holistic and brought all my skills from previous posts together. Because um, as you know, with, with dementia, it can just affect so many aspects of function from physical health, mental health and social health. So it just, it just covers and, and encapsulates everything so um that's where i kind of like specialized in towards the end of my nhs career see the mm -hmm. last seven or eight years yeah so did you encounter dementia quite early on in your rotation or was it some you know was it a area that you sort of grew to develop a more keen interest in or was it sort of from the start you was no sort of, it was definitely no. not from the start no although of course i was working with uh, people with dementia in the acute settings, there were uh, there were people with dementia in in all aspects in the medical wards, in the rheumatology wards, um, in the stroke wards as well. So, um, yeah. But at that time, I did not feel my career was going to go that way. Um, it was it was just basically all the other aspects of my NHS work um, kind of making sense for me to to specialise in this area. Obviously, you've got quite an interesting story. You, you actually are now using leisure activities to enhance people's health and their overall well-being. And in turn, this is obviously reducing their social isolation. And this is for those living with dementia. So you actually started up something called the weekday wow factor. So I thought maybe if you start telling us a little bit about what it is and then maybe tell us what inspired you to start it or the other way around, actually, it's up to you. Yeah, that's great. Yes, uh -huh. what, what inspired me 
was my NHS work. So in 2009, um, I was working with older adults who had dementia, um, but it was more on, on the start of their dementia journey. So um, we had this like memory management group um, where we were providing hints and tips and discussions around um, how to use some strategies to uh, enhance memory with uh, activities of daily living. And at the end of that group, after six weeks, I felt as if it was a real shame to disintegrate that group where people had forged some friendships. And um, I had asked my clinical supervisor if it was possible for me to turn that into a health promotion activity. Um, although I was trying to keep an informal group going by suggesting maybe everybody could meet at a community venue at a certain time. So I was there on, on the one uh, once and, and then I came over the second time as well. And after that, I was hoping the group would just regularly meet. But because it disintegrated and I got feedback to say how great it was and it was a shame that I wasn't present to kind of gel things together. Um, yeah, this health promotion group was started and we, we spent time going out and about on healthy walks in the town in Coatbridge. Um, and we joined various different activities such as tenpin bowling and, and other things. And that's where I discovered the power of leisure. So um, there was a real appeal for it. Um, but then the winter months were kicking in and of course hardly anyone of us were motivated to, to step out. So we then I then approached the local leisure centre who were who were running some exercise classes for people um, over the age of 50. So we joined as a group and um, uh, many of our clients had difficulties um, actually following the instructions of the exercise class. Um, because of their dementia and ended up improvising. Um, so at the end of that, I spoke to the leisure centre manager and the exercise instructor to see if he could tailor the classes. Um, if I was coming in from my knowledge and skills around dementia um, for, for our clients to engage in the exercise group. And we did that and every week I got feedback from the clients and really tailored the exercise class to meet the needs of the group. But then I thought, you know, this is all very well, but, but our client groups are actually working or exercising in isolation. And it'd be really good to open it out wider to include people who don't have dementia, um, people in the community. And I thought there was a real um, therapeutic value of doing that. So again, I had this discussion with my clinical supervisor who agreed it was going to be a good idea, but of course it was an innovative way of working, uh, very differently from just my caseload in the NHS. So um, yeah, started that off and um, it grew from our 15 clients to we had 70 people a week attending at the leisure centre, um, like a year later. Uh, and it was a big group, people really enjoyed the camaraderie and being part of a big group um, is something that they miss. They miss the years of like the banter and kind of working around people just, just in, in their employment when they were a lot younger. So they really enjoyed the social aspect of it. 
so that that had the exercise class then a light lunch followed by activities such as table tennis um, and there was karaoke and all kinds of things so it's still running it's called silver seniors and um, so in, in 2010 um, the Scottish government were looking for good practice examples and I had written up an evaluation of, of what he what we've done over the last six months and uh, the Scottish government really loved the idea and and the work and they actually used it as a platform to launch their first ever national dementia strategy from the project because it made quite a lot of the aspirations of their policy so um so yeah so th those are some of the roots for my current work and then i went away to india for a couple of years came back and then i was working with younger people with dementia in their 40s and 50s and there i discovered a very powerful occupation um it was one of those kind of like you know how you get those super fruits and super vegetables i discovered a super occupation um and it was around music and dance so what happened was um it was a generic occupational therapist working in an older people's ward and she felt a bit stuck working with this lady in her 40s with dementia um, who had lost a lot of her communication skills, was but she was physically very active. And uh, she was just looking for uh, a specialist OT working with younger people with dementia just to see if there was anything else that we could look in the toolbox um, to help this lady. So I was working with her and um, on the first day during the initial assessment um, basic communication such as what's your name um, this lady really struggled with um, and I was there with a student occupational therapist and I was in our ward space with her and I noticed there were quite a lot of CDs and there was um, there was a CD player there so I just happened to put one of the CDs on just to see what happens and I couldn't believe the transformation in this lady. You know, she knew the words of this Duran Duran song. She's singing away with the words and she had much better eye contact. She was smiling and she started dancing. And we started dancing. So we actually, dis actually started doing, creating this disco, uh, the three of us in her, in her word space. Um, and yeah, it, it was really, really interesting to see her engaging in a meaningful uh, occupation such as music and dance. And at the same time, this was in the kind of like the west of the city. Um, I was just about to do another uh, initial assessment with a lady in her early 50s um, in the east end of the city who was living at home with her husband and um, she had significantly lost her communication skills too and she was actually uh, mute sadly um, but she was physically very active so during the initial assessment um, her husband and the client and, and I were just going up and down the stairs during the duration of the um, uh, of the assessment and when I was speaking to her husband um, he was telling me when it's music that she recognizes, he sees more of his wife. 
there's much better eye contact. She's smiling. She looks relaxed. And I just had goosebumps at the same at that time because it's like, wow, this is incredible. I, I discovered the power of music and dance with the lady in the West and this lady too, and we're presenting quite similarly. And at that point, I was looking for a place for them to go dancing uh, in the community. And all I could come across was uh, dance classes. And from my knowledge and experience of the exercise class uh, in 2010, um, I thought that it would be quite challenging for uh, the clients to follow a class and, um, and also they might be regarded as being disruptive. So at that point uh, in my clinical reasoning, I thought it needs, needed to be more freestyle kind of dancing so that the person has more control, they can engage at any level that they wish to, they can shout and scream and it doesn't really matter um, during the dancing. And the only thing that I could think of at that time were my student years um, and going to various nightclubs in Glasgow. So what I did was I approached those nightclubs and, uh, and it was really interesting. Um, all of the nightclubs were really up for it. They thought it was a fantastic idea to give something back to the community. Um, but then I was ha having to look at things from an accessibility point of view and health and safety. Um, uh, and yeah, there was a right fit with this bungalow nightclub, a trendy one in the West End of Glasgow and it had really good links to uh, public transport. Um, so yeah, that's where it all began. They had a disabled toilet right off the dance floor, which was really good. They had some chill out rooms. So it meant if people were thinking they needed a break from the loud music and the lights and, and the people, they could go out into those zones. So, um, so yeah, on, on day one, <laughs> um, on day one, I had no networks because I'd been working in the NHS for so long um, that we we're used to working with waiting lists there and all of a sudden nobody knows you in the community and uh, and you know I, I really learned I had no, zero business acumen uh, I, I had created flyers um, through the help of my children who were really good with technology and I put them up at various local locations and shops and things but nobody showed up, Farah. Oh <laughs> no! Yeah, I imagined. <laughs> I imagined a massive queue around the nightclub, but I re I realised I had zero business acumen. I didn't even know about branding, so I had a timely meeting the next day with Business Gateway, um, and the person was like, "Oh, have you have you tried uh, local dance classes uh, to drum up some business?" So I jumped onto the train, got off at. Um, in part it where this nightclub was in Glasgow and uh, and and went over to the big boards and saw posters of uh, one of the teachers who was um, giving some uh, lessons and dancing um, for older adults and I, I, I was discussing this with her and she thought it was a great idea and um, I was selling it to her in a way that these dance moves that that you're teaching um, can be used at the nightclub at the dance hall so she thought that was a, a great idea and I was invited to come and speak to the ladies um, and with my uh, invisible uh, violin to say nobody showed up last week and these ladies came along they loved it and they came along every week and that's how it grew organically 
uh, is really at a grassroots level that, uh, that grow. Um, I'm loving the grassroots in your Zoom background, by the way. <laughs> I, <think laughs> I know. So. I know. I don't actually know how to take that off because, as I said, um, I've been thrown by the technology this morning. So yeah. it's completely thrown me. They, you know, there's so much to unpick from that, Pasna, from kind of your innovation and that idea of the improvising with what you had. But one of the key the sort of key questions I had about it was in relation to the funding, the funding to get the whole thing moving. So I'm assuming when you was talking initially, when you had those sorts of people that turned into the Silver Seniors Group, was that funded by your employer at the time? Like, um, I'm on about your time as in you being the OT, being able to do those, offer that provision in sense. Was, was that funded by the trust you was with at the time? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that was yeah. in the NHS. Uh, that, that, that was funded at the time. That's correct. That's amazing. So then obviously this um, moving on to the weekday wow factor, is that in essence your own business now? Yes. Yeah, so um, yeah. started off, yeah, I, I don't, I've always just only had a career in the NHS. So um, I didn't really know much about the third sector and it was extremely daunting. It was like going into this alien world, world and, and being absolutely clueless. You know, I had been um, to Business Gateway a couple of times to learn about different structures and it was I found it quite intimidating to tell you the truth you know it's um, not something I know much about at the time um, but it was just a passion and the drive and this six-month pilot I gave myself from February to October just to test out my ideas but because they were working so well I felt as if I had a duty to take it to the next step and really be brave, which was, uh, <laughs> it was hard to be brave, but I had to do it to take the plunge. And um, at the time, I was told about social enterprises. They're not-for-profit organisations. So um, you, you bring in the money from people who can afford it, and then you create services where the profits go into services for people who cannot afford it so it's like a whole system I quite like that concept um, so that's how it started but of course coming from the NHS we're not used to we're not equipped with a business kind of acumen uh, being at band five and band six level especially at those levels where we're, we're doing the bread and butter groundwork as occupational therapists so I found it extremely difficult to ask people for money and the people um, the communities I was working with the target group are people from deprived areas so that was extremely challenging to be truthful but again just using my occupational therapy skills of like saying listen we're having a light lunch and in order to get the sandwiches we need some money it can't be free because there's no money and, you know, having those really meaningful conversations with folk about, you know, as how much would a sandwich cost in a cafe? Um, so, you know, it was like, like would like, people felt as if they were getting the same kind of meal that they would have in a cafe, but it's got added benefits because you've got the opportunity to dance and enjoy a, a nightclub mm. vibe. So people were willing to pay the same amount as buying a sandwich or um, going to a cafe and we, we just kept the prices minimum because of that but of course it meant that there was no money for me <laughs> so going from the NHS and having regular income to having zero income and being on benefits was very challenging 
And Farah, I'm still in that position, um, mm. which is embarrassing in some ways, but, um, but my, my kind of work is driven by passion and I'm really determined this is the year that I'm going to start earning, hopefully, because it's been five years and um, yeah, that's five years of voluntary work, basically. I don't think there's any embarrassment whatsoever in what you're doing. I think the sort of mm-hmm. the innovation that you've shown and the drive that you've had to get this off the ground and clearly the benefit that the people that you're working with, what it's offering and giving to them, that's 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 occupational therapy in its purest form, in its essence. So, yeah, I think that actually, obviously, money would be great, right? We all want a bit of money. We would Absolutely. all like a little bit of cash. And yeah. you know what? In a way, I'm surprised that you're you know, I'm surprised that you stuck with it that long, if I'm honest with you, because that just shows your dedication and your passion to your project. So I think, you know, fair play is all I can say, because it's amazing what you're doing. But hopefully, like you said, and this is interesting what you say, I actually completed a module on my university course all about um, innovation and enterprise. And I think that's a relatively new remit for our profession I don't think I I do think it's something that's only just starting up and actually that was one of the modules that I left thinking I didn't quite understand at the time why we did it but now I can see the potential for using that knowledge and we learned about the social enterprises and the things that you're talking about which actually I'm making the assumption you didn't have that as part of your core training never heard of social enterprise till business gate we mentioned those Mm -hmm. words I didn't know. Um, so what 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 was happening was, although we were supposed to be a social enterprise, we weren't really a social enterprise in its truest form because we weren't bringing in the profits. So mm-hmm. during COVID, I was looking into um, becoming a charity for our organisation, so we can attract funds and it, and things can be free for our community members. Um, so we applied for it and we were successful. So being a uh, Uh, So we have a charity arm of the business and we have a social enterprise arm of the business. So um, with the charity, we can apply for more funds and funding. So that's that's quite interesting. We're still at the at the (laughs) ground roots level, but it is it's just building organically and slowly. Uh Are you on your own in this or have you got other people with you? Yeah, very good question and a timely question with the conversation here, Farah. Um, just to say that I have been a one-woman band for a very long time, um, doing doing everything. But when COVID hit um, at that time, will I tell you the COVID story and then it leads into all the people who got involved with that? Absolutely, with that absolutely, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so pre-COVID, um, I was just getting relief from uh, a fellow occupational therapist who I trained with when I was going on holiday, for example, or if there was something important that came up. So that was the only kind of relief. Uh, apart from that, I was basically running day to day and every day. Um, and then just, just at COVID times, it was um, uh, Friday the 13th of March, uh, 2020, when Boris Johnson um, had just stepped out of the COBRA meeting and declared that the client, uh, the community group that were going to be most affected were older adults and older adults with long-term conditions. So at that point, some alarm bells hit, obviously, and my client group at present. And um, I had a discussion with our clients through our WhatsApp group 
um, about the, the, the meeting and the outcomes and the community group wanted me to keep running it. Um, but of course, the gut feeling and the clinical reasoning and the risk assessment suggested that that was uh, not a good idea to have face to face interactions at that time because we had the disco usually on a Monday at the nightclub. And this was on the Friday. The decision had to be made then because the sandwiches needed to be ordered then too. So um, I then took my clinical reasoning to my, um, clinic, my, my supervisor, uh, Leanne, and had a discussion with her. And we agreed that uh, the face-to-face discos were going to stop. All our events were going to stop. So I needed a plan B. At that point, I knew we had to have a plan B because in January and February, one of the extreme weather storms were taking place and we had to cancel discos regularly. So I had that at the back of my mind as well at that time. And all I could think of was this WhatsApp group because it had the video button on it. So what I did was I, I, I had to break the bad news story that we're not going to be running the face-to-face -face disco, but if you're going to have a video call. And of course, many of us, including me, um, we're not used to using video and it's quite intimidating. So I just asked mainly ladies who I work with and, and I asked them who would want to start this um, uh, on Monday. And it was the St. Patrick's themed discos. We usually wear green. Uh, many of us, it's a choice, of course, but a lot of people do like to make the effort to be part of the cultural sides of things. And yeah, six people signed up. So broke them up into three, three, disco, three people at each disco, a morning disco on Monday and an afternoon disco on Monday. Um, and, uh, and it went really well. But of course, for a disco, it was just nice to see everybody. For a disco, you need more people than, than four devices, four people. So then we moved on to Skype. And Skype was like a really bad radio station for delivering the music, but it was so sweet. People didn't mind about the bad radio station music. It was more about having the eye contact, seeing each other, smiling, having meaningful conversations. So we did Skype for a while, um, V as in me. <laughs> but as an organization, we're used to using the word V, but at the time it was just me. Anyway, and you know, everybody's got a different device and I'm not, I'm a technical foe, but again, had to be brave and just face it and just help one client at a time. So we're using the videos of the WhatsApp and turning the video towards the laptop and just helping people on a one-to-one -one basis. But it was, it was quite difficult to do that with my limited skills and also the time resource and things. I then joined SCBO Digital, which provides um, a lot of networking and, uh, and learning as well to third sector organizations. So I joined their Zoom for the first time, discovered Zoom. And during the chat, I put in help. I need, I need an organization to help me um, with, with our clients. And another charity called Leonard Cheshire got in touch. And a lady called Jerry, who's their community kind of arm, she, she helped people um, access digital um, devices over years pre-COVID. So she had all those knowledge and skills. So we still have a working relationship where new people come on board who've 
only used house phones, for example. We've had, we've had some clients who've only used the house phone, never had a smart device, who've gone from house phone to using Zoom. So at that time, so it's March, April, May, June, that I'm doing, carrying out two discos a day, okay? And trying to help people to get on Zoom. So uh, yeah, it was reaching burnout levels, but uh, at that point, um, almost like the law of attraction, you know, the, the good karma to the universe. Um, a lady got in touch with me called Anne um, and asked if there were any opportunities for her to DJ. And I was like, oh, Anne. And she had a background of working in health and well-being. So um, I trained her up and she came on board and I got some summer holiday time, especially with the children. Um, so that was great. So she was our first self-employed um, contracted person and she's still working with us two years down the line, more than two years now. And then, yeah, it was just uh, Anne and I for a while and our first employee was um, from UK Kickstart in April, 2021. Um, that's a six month post, so that's funded. Um, and now she's um, still working with us, which is fantastic, called Harriet. And then we have, we won some funding um, last January for two business development people, uh, which officers, sorry, business development officers, which was fantastic um, to have them on board. Um, so yeah, so we've got three part-time employees and then we've got um, three exercise instructors, we've got yoga, tai chi and falls prevention, like, uh, postural stability instructor and they work um, part-time as well um, who else we've, we've had science lectures uh, we've had beginner Spanish so we've had a whole load of um, yeah self-employed people and just think Pasna all of that has developed from your initial idea it's phenomenal I just wanted to congratulate you on how fantastic I think that is because it's not easy what you've done and I think as well, from what I've listened to, it's, it's, it's involved a lot of personal sacrifice time-wise and probably emotionally as well. So I'm, I'm, I aspire to it, to be honest with you, because um, it's not an easy thing what you've done. But I'm, I'm interested to sort of develop and speak a little bit more around this idea of um, grassroots and where that kind of come from and what that means, in essence, to the listeners. Yeah, re really good question. I mean... For me, as an occupational therapist throughout my career, I feel as if I've always been into the bread and butter and just getting, if you get the basics right, then everything else follows. So I've not always been a huge fan of standardized assessments, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel as if the person-centered approaches are the best and um, standardized assessments sometimes miss that boat because we're not standardized as human beings um, we're, we're, we're really individuals so so yeah when I talk about grassroots it's really one person at a time um, and seeing where the thread is of commonalities um, and the other thing is in regards to, for example, working with people with dementia, my kind of learning from that is if you get it right for people with dementia, I truly believe you get it right for the for, for everybody. Um, 
So for example, I, I noticed that dance and the power of music is like so powerful for, for some people with dementia. So that means it would be powerful and really meaningful for the wider community. So the majority of people who come to the discos do not have dementia, but they have the same um, meaningful uh, activity from, from it. And I know very little about music and I know very little about dance, but I know the power of it. And that's the crunch for me, is knowing the, the power of this activity. I do not need to be an expert in music. In fact, a lot of the times at the discos, I'm forever asking, what's that tune? Who sings that? And I know some people are amazed to say, you don't know that. I'm not the expert, I'm the facilitator. The, the freedom you've got and the fluidity you have and the level that I'm assuming you're getting to know these people that you're working with on is um, very appealing to me. So yeah, I, uh, I, I commend all of what you're doing, but I suppose ultimately one of the most impressive things, if you like, that's happened recently for you is that you've received the Point of Light Award from the Prime Minister. So first of all, amazing, well done. You must just be so pleased. Well, I'm assuming you're so pleased and proud, but how did you feel when you found out that you'd won such a such a fantastic accolade? And actually, maybe it might be worth starting with what the Point of Light Award actually is and then telling us how you feel. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it was a massive surprise for me um, because the person... A person from the department um, just just phoned up and said that he was looking for um, for pieces of work to share with MPs, um, which are innovative and good ideas um, that can be followed through in the future. And I was excited about that part, so I was speaking to him about it. And then and then I got an email back saying, uh, "Yes, that was part of it, but really it was to give you an award for what you." you've achieved um, as a volunteer um, and the, the innovation part as well so I was absolutely delighted um, I, I'm not really into accolades it's not something that I kind of um, yeah value as much but I guess it's nice to be valued <laughs> yeah uh, it was nice it was kind of a twofold it's like oh no I don't want to be in the limelight for that but at the same time I guess um I reached a point it's kind of it was kind of a point where I thought yeah I've done the volunteer work for five years it's now time for me to step up and actually show the value of it monetary wise you know um yeah done the groundwork now so yeah no, it was really lovely to get that acknowledgement um but I feel as if you get that acknowledgement through the community every day in my work you know it's it's so rewarding. I'm working with the best people and uh, those daily rewards definitely mean more to me than any accolades. Um, but thank you. I always ask the question about offering a recommendation to people. And although I'm, I want to get onto that eventually, something you said has really sort of struck a chord with me about getting the basics right. And it's sort of pinging around in my head and I'm thinking about it free from. I did pre-warn you, we may go off. <laughs> So I was just wondering, what does getting the basics right mean? 
if you was to say that so say for example I'm thinking of students in this regard or newly qualifieds what are those basics that we're talking about for occupational therapists really good question so the basics to me are always around human rights and being person-centered those two things I think that's it for me um nothing more needs to be said it's perfect short and sweet <laughs> short and sweet I like it and it is probably the most perfect answer I've ever had I reckon in regards to a question um so yeah on to the on to the final part of the show and this is your recommendation so I always like to um in essence creating a bit of a shared resource like a pool of information for the listeners so each guest gives a recommendation so what would you feel Pasna is worth the listeners catching up on or getting to know a little bit more about Oh, so, uh, that, that's, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, one of the most inspirational occupational therapists that I came across um, as a student was when I attended the VIFIT um, conference, the World Federation of OC Conference in Montreal in 1998, which is a long, long time ago, but um, it was uh, Anne Wilcock. Have you heard of Anne Wilcock? Yes, I have. Her work around social justice, it was just mind-blowing to me at the time. Um, the, the doing, being, becoming document, just inspirational. Um, I, I, I've, I've always found that mind-blowing. And just all the stuff around human rights that she was engaged with, um, with Elizabeth Townsland as well. Uh, yeah, I, I would recommend... Um, fellow occupational therapists and health professionals to look into uh, their work. And you know what's really interesting was the whole time we're speaking, near enough from the start, I was thinking this is occupational justice, occupational justice, you're an occupational justice activist, I can feel it. And it's really interesting that you offer those options. So yeah, absolutely. So the, the, is it, it's doing, being, becoming? That's right. And then belonging was added on, I believe. That's right, yes. And, uh, and yeah, and I will add on that I did a fantastic podcast with Elizabeth Townsend. So if anybody wants to catch up with that, then listen to that as an add-on, because actually you will see um, when she talks about her participatory justice occupational framework that she developed, so much of what you're doing, Pasna, is linked to that. So much of what you're doing, instead of um, she speaks about that and gives examples of we can go to a house and put in a ramp for a person to access their property but actually let's take you know 15 steps back from that and see why isn't everywhere just accessible why are we just trying to plug a gap in one problem when we can look a lot wider and you know what that's exactly what you're doing so yeah 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 it's so true but yeah I think the seeds were planted from that stage yeah, I think, I think that was a really inspirational piece of work, which is with me forever. I also want to mention one other occupational therapist who's really inspired me in my career. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I really enjoyed going to the um, RCOT conferences. I always got so much out of that. And, it, and one of the top speakers uh, has always been Julia Scott. Uh, have you met Julia Scott or heard her speak? Yeah, CEO, uh, the former CEO of uh, RCOT. I, I just find all her speeches really inspiring. 
And she's another person who comes across as being a bread and butter OT. She was always filled with stories and examples of occupational therapists. And, uh, and I always find that really inspiring, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and inspiring. Um, this is a inspirational episode. I think there's going to be a lot of OTs that listen to this and can definitely, if they if they don't resonate with the whole the whole thing you've done, which I would I couldn't imagine would be many, but there will be definitely elements that people are going to be able to pick from this and hopefully inspire a few more OTs to think about their practice and going a little bit broader and even potentially like yourself making the jump starting up themselves and looking at that wider community level kind of where we can fit into so many unique little places in our profession can't we so we have we are very lucky to be involved in the most incredible profession in the world it really is just mind-blowing and I love hearing about different OTs loving your podcast there is such a variety and diversity of work and it does need to be showed off um we, we, we do incredible work. So I, I really appreciate, Farah, for you to have these podcasts um, just to educate and raise awareness to OTs and non-OTs as well. Um, it's a really important piece of work what you're doing too. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. And thank you for coming on the show. It's been great having you on, Pasna. when we listen to something and we think wow that was really inspirational but I truly believe that with this episode uh, the concept of a social enterprise is something that is really a pretty good place I feel that we can position ourselves as occupational therapists and of course it's not for everybody but I feel that this gives a really really good example of finding in essence a gap and using those OT skills and being so occupation focused and just running with it basically taking the plunge I hope you've enjoyed the episode uh, if you want to get in touch please do you can follow me on Instagram at OT what's your focus and I'm on Twitter as well leave a comment get in touch and until next time take care of yourselves <laughs>